So on the one hand, we have Isaiah's vision of a rich feast, and on the other, we have Paul's memory of a simple but significant meal. We need them both, I think, on All Saints Day. The more tables, the better on a day like today. Now, sitting around one of those tables for quite some time now is St. Teresa of Avila, canonized by the Catholic Church. She is well known for her writings, and she was even named, after her death, she was named a doctor of the church. If you read her words, you will discover prayers that are heartfelt and insights into a life of faith that are poignant. My favorite story about her, though, is not told in her own voice. It's recorded in the journal of a companion. They were traveling to Granada to establish a convent there, and along the way they encountered a wide river, one that had risen well beyond its bank because of recent heavy rain. It was impossible for them to cross the river by carriage, so they continued on foot. Teresa slipped, however, and she was nearly carried away by the rushing water. When she finally reached the other side, she told her friend that she had seen the Lord looking down upon her as he saved her from a terrible death. And then she said, as if that were not enough, they had a conversation. Lord, she said, when will you stop placing obstacles in our path? Do not complain, the Lord said in return, for this is how I treat my friends. If this is how you treat your friends, St. Teresa replied back, perhaps that explains why you have so few. (laughs) To be a saint in the Catholic Church is an honor reserved for a very select number, those to whom miracles are attributed and veneration is directed. But to be a saint in our Reformed tradition, well, that is simply to be a person of faith as normal and everyday as you or me. That is why I can say with great certainty that joining St. Teresa around one of those heavenly tables is surely another doctor, the Reverend Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon. Dr. Cannon was my professor and Rebecca's at Union Presbyterian Seminary. She was the first African-American woman ordained in the Presbyterian Church. I have told you about her before, but I haven't told you this story. She was talking with our class one day about the ethical implications of calling someone an enemy. And she said, look. Jesus tells us that in his Father's house there are many rooms, many rooms, all kinds of rooms. And this is good news because I have a list of people that I want right down the hall from me. And I have another list of people that I hope will be placed on any floor but mine. Dr. Cannon died just over a year ago. But she always spoke the truth. She was never worried about acting too holy or sounding too pious, which is probably why her faith resonated with so many. After she laughed with us about her secret hopes for the seating chart of heaven, she suddenly, on a dime, became very serious. 
And I'm still not sure how she managed this, but she looked each one of us in the eye at the same time. And she said, we like to think of heaven as being with everyone we love. And that's okay. That is a very fine definition of heaven. But, she said, I am convinced that it is more than that. I am convinced that heaven is not about being with everyone you love. Heaven is having the ability to love everyone that you're with. I like to imagine that St. Teresa and Dr. Cannon have enjoyed more than a few good meals together by now. All Saints' Day is almost always bittersweet. It's a day when we give thanks for so many beloved lives. And it is also a day when we are faced with how much we still feel their loss. The prophet Isaiah, he was... (coughs) Excuse me. The prophet Isaiah was no stranger to bittersweet days himself. A little bit of historical background for you. Rebecca read from Isaiah 25... Chapters 24 through 27, they are considered to be a separate unit from the rest of the book, and it's often referred to all on its own as Isaiah's Apocalypse. In other words, it's the prophet telling of a time when it seemed like the world was ending. That section begins this way, The Lord is about to lay waste the earth and make it desolate. He will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. The city will be broken down, every house shut up so that no one can enter. The earth will be broken, torn asunder and violently shaken. It will fall, and it will not rise again. Now, almost all scholars agree that Isaiah is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians in the year 586 BCE. And that was a time when the world as they knew it was ending. I can't help but notice, though, especially on a day like today, how the prophet's words so vividly articulate the heartbreak of grief. So for just a moment, just a moment, forget that he is talking about a city. Those of you who have walked through the valley of the shadow of death with someone, when that journey comes to its inevitable conclusion, your whole world feels desolate, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like life itself is broken, Torn and shaken? Whether he's talking about the end of the world as a whole people know it, or the end of the world as any one of us knows it, Isaiah's words capture us. Because you know what it feels like to have a lump stuck in your throat or to have your heart sink into your stomach. Isaiah knows the grief you have experienced. Isaiah also knows that for people of faith, food is at the center of our story. Like we said last week, 
When scripture talks about food, it's about nutrition, but it's never just about nutrition. And that's why Isaiah reports that it is not only the city that's reduced to ruins, but the wine cellar too. The wine dries up, he writes, the vine languishes, all of the merry-hearted they sigh. The mirth of the timbrel is ceased, the noise of the jubilant has come to an end. But then, somehow, in the midst of all of that, the prophet in chapter 25, in today's reading, says, The Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wine strained clear. It is a menu so extravagant, it's not enough to tell us once. It's so good, it bears repeating. And after we're told what the people will eat, Isaiah takes it a step further still, and he tells us what God will eat. Because when people of faith gather at a table, God has a habit of showing up too. And at this feast, The people will fill themselves with mouthfuls of rich food and glasses of well-aged wine. And God will swallow up death forever. That is exactly the way that line in scripture reads. God will swallow up death forever. Even in our most desperate times, God sets the table with delicacies of every sort, ensures that our every need is met, and then God devours death. My friend Taylor, she comes from a good southern family, the kind where almost everyone she knows has two first names, and every supper takes at least two hours. A good number of years back, before Taylor herself had even come into being, her parents were preparing for a cross-country road trip. They were driving from Princeton, New Jersey, to California. The car was packed, the gas tank was full, the goodbyes were underway, when Taylor's grandmother, Mrs. Lewis, Mrs. Lewis, she came out of the house carrying one more box. She had spent most of the night cooking, preparing food for the journey. Now look here, she said, and she pulled out a loaf of homemade bread. And after the bread came some pimento cheese, so you can make some sandwiches, she said. After the cheese came fruit, and after the fruit came potato chips. After the potato chips came a whole jug of fresh brewed iced tea. After the tea came some fried green tomatoes, so you won't forget what home tastes like, she said. And Taylor's mother, she looked at her mother, and she was already a little bit homesick. She tried to find a way to say thank you, or so the story goes, when Mrs. Lewis said, Wait! Wait! Here's the big thing! And she pulled out an entire 13-pound chicken, cut up and fried and ready to be eaten. Now, I have heard this story a number of times. 
And never once has it included even a single detail about how much of that chicken was actually eaten. Or about how much grease ended up on the steering wheel. Or how many chicken bones were thrown from the window of a moving car. The story's finale is always, always the unveiling of this extravagant meal and the exclamation that accompanied it. Here's the big thing. Here is the big thing. On All Saints Day, I hope with all of my heart that we remember the heavenly banquet that God promised our loved ones and promises us one day, too, where the table is piled high with more than anything and everything a person could ever hunger for. But even more than that, I hope we will remember that the feast is possible only because God has swallowed up death forever. First John tells us that we love because God loved first. The prophet Isaiah tells us that we will feast because God feasted first. And so, of course... Of course, when the time comes for Jesus to tell his disciples some really important things, he gathers them around a table. The menu this time is simple. It's shared bread and a common cup. This is my body, he says. This is my blood. I have come so that you may have life and have life abundant. I do not give to you as the world gives. Here is the big thing. The really big thing is the word that both Isaiah and Paul use. Salvation. To be saved is to be rescued. To be saved is to know that nothing will ever get the best of you. That nothing will ever be able to beat you. To be saved is to trust that God's love is stronger than anything the world throws your way. It is to trust that when God's love takes hold of us, and when God's love takes hold of those we love, it never lets go. Not in life and not in death. One of my very favorite poems is by Joy Harjo. It's titled, Perhaps the World Ends Here, and I cannot help but hear echoes of Isaiah in the words. The world begins at a table, she writes. No matter what, we must eat to live. The gifts of earth are brought and prepared, set on the table, so it has been since creation, and it will go on. We chase chickens or dogs away from it. Babies teeth at the corner. They scrape their knees under it. It is here that children are given instruction on what it means to be human. We make men at the table, we make women at the table. We tell stories, recall enemies, and encounter the ghosts of loved ones. Our dreams drink coffee with us as they put their arms around us. They laugh with us at our poor falling down selves as we put ourselves back together at the table. This table has been a house in the rain, an umbrella in the sun. 
Wars have begun and ended at this table. It is a place to hide in the shadow of terror. It is a place to celebrate the terrible victory. We have given birth on the table and prepared our parents for burial there. At this table, we sing with joy and with sorrow. We pray of suffering and remorse. We give thanks. Perhaps the world will end at the table while we are laughing and crying and eating until the very last sweet bite. So friends, when you come to this table in just a few minutes, remember, we feast because God feasted first. God swallowed up death forever. And that means that all of the names of all of the loved ones we hold so dear, they will meet you at that table. When you take that bite of bread and swallow that sip of wine or juice, trust this. This meal, it is everything we need for today. And at the very same time, it is but an appetizer of what is still to come. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.